fall ministries are going to be beginning here August 30th. So that's a week from this Wednesday. So Awana Middle School and Youth Group, as well as Women and Men's Bible Studies, we also have a prayer group that meets on Wednesdays. They would all be ecstatic to have you join them on Wednesdays if you are able. Also, this week on Wednesday from 7 to 8 p.m., there's going to be Awana leader training. So if you have volunteered to help with Awanas this year, they request that you come for some training from 7 to 8 p.m. I know it will be a great time of encouragement and training, so you won't want to miss out. Stop by in the foyer to sign up kids for Awanas. Steve Smith, uh, who is going to be the new pastor here at Creekside Church, will be here September 3rd, so that's coming up uh, really quick, and we're really excited to welcome Steve into our community here. The following Sunday, after the services on September 10th, we're going to have a welcome picnic for Steve. So make sure to block that off on your calendars, and we'd love to have all of you join us for that. Now, we have one other announcement. If Doug is here, then he will come up and explain something about small groups this year. You won't want to miss out, so here's Doug. Uh, quickly, um, we're going to be starting small groups up here next month, and uh, we're just looking for some ideas of how many are interested in participating. We think this is an area of you know, great uh, opportunities for our church to get to know and make connections, um, have prayer and encouragement for one another. And so I've got a little uh, questionnaire in the back on the back table. Um, if you're just willing to fill that out, just you know, if you are interested in participating in small groups, so we have an idea of numbers. Um, also, if you're willing to lead or host a small group, you don't have to do both. It's either or, or you can do both if you want to, but uh, we're looking for hosts and, and leaders. Um, leaders, I want to kind of stress, we're not looking for people that, you know, we're going to develop their own curriculum and write their own questions and everything else. We're just looking for people who can facilitate and just kind of keep the ball rolling. You know, we can help with the questions and, and things like that, but you just need someone to you know, steer the ship a little bit. We know how all those questions can kind of start veering off into a never-never land there, so we need someone just to kind of keep things uh, on track, and so we're looking for people to help out on that. So that's part of the, the questionnaire. You only need to put your name down if you're willing to host or, or lead. Please put your name down on that. Don't, don't just say yes, and then don't tell me who you are. So, um, But otherwise, we'll be starting probably mid to late September, and we're kind of shortening things up. So we're only going to go about eight weeks. We're going to finish up before Thanksgiving this fall, and then we'll do about eight weeks in the spring, just because everyone's schedule gets so tight around the holidays and then later in spring and everything. So um, if you have any questions, please let me know. Thanks. Hey, Doug. All right, let us give thanks for this morning's offering, and then we will continue in worship. So... Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning that we can come and worship you. God, I just pray um, as we take this morning's offering out of the abundance of what you've given us, God, that we would uh, graciously and humbly give back to you um, with an open heart. God, I just, again, pray that you bless the rest of this morning, bless the words that we are going to hear from your word, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Good morning, people of God. As has been advertised, our text today is Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. I invite you all to turn in your Bibles, or if you don't have one handy, there's one in your uh, seats in front of you. 
or you may have them on your phone. Again, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. As I read, listen, for this is the word of God. Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Word of God. May God bless this reading of his word to our hearts and to our understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here at Creekside, we strive to be a community of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ where all of us feel at home, don't we? And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, we were offered these bulletins as you come through the door. And there, uh, could we have that slide, please? There we go. Notice what it says. Welcome. Together, we are one family. So we want to make each other feel at home, and together we're one family. Well, let's think about that for a moment. What makes a, a home is family, isn't it? Back in 2008, when Mary and I first visited what was then Olivet Church, we were immediately impressed with how loving and welcoming to visitors that congregation was. We were also very happy to see a broad diversity of people groups that were there represented. And to this day, by God's grace, these are still things that we all do very well here at Creekside. We are, by God's grace, a welcoming, loving church. We strive to be an inclusive church for people of many varied backgrounds and cultures. And we do it all under the banner of scriptural truth. Now, at whatever stage we are in our spiritual journey, either individually or collectively, Jesus continues to accept us just as we are, just like the hymn says. But because he loves each of us so much, he will not leave us there. And so, 
Jesus, in his prayer here, what is often called the high priestly prayer, indicates for us how we are to treat each other as adopted children within God's family. Indeed, it's necessary for him to pray to God the Father on our behalf because within our own families in this life, we don't always treat each other as we should. And the unity that Jesus asked of us, in fact demands of us within his family, just does not come naturally to any of us. Many years ago, Mark Twain used to say that he once put a dog and a cat together in a cage as an experiment to see if they could get along. Well, surprisingly, they did. So he added into the mix first a bird, and then he added a pig, and then he added a goat. Now, all of these got along fine after a few adjustments. And then he added in a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a Catholic. Soon there was not a single living thing left in the cage. Through the years, all too often, isn't that the impression that we who name the name of Christ have given the world? The reality is that though we are redeemed, we are still fallen. And being fallen, our natural tendency is still to be selfish, isn't it? For example, we within our earthly blood families naturally tend to hold grudges. We all have long memories regarding past hurts. Indeed, some of the bitterest, bloodiest conflicts in all of human history started out as or quickly became family feuds. During our American Civil War, it was often literally brother against brother, father against son. If we look further back into biblical history, what do we see? We see Cain and Abel. Israel and Judah. But Jesus tells us here that as adopted members of his family, we're held to a much higher standard regarding how we treat each other than is seen within the families of the world, where there is too often abuse, neglect, cruelty, and unforgiveness. In human families, what is called love is often very conditional and therefore is not really love at all. So, starting in verse 20, knowing what we will face within ourselves and in the world, Jesus broadens the scope of his prayer from the small group of his disciples to those who will believe in me through their word. And that means us. We who have received Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And what does he pray for us? Verse 21 says he prays for our unity. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. Notice that this is not merely human temporary surface level unity. 
but unity exemplified by the Holy Trinity. That's the standard. The unity between born-again believers is based on the individual believer's unity with God through Jesus' blood. Look for a moment back at verse 17. What does he say? He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus tells us here that this unity is within the framework and the boundaries of the revealed truth of Scripture. How we are to live together in unity is laid out for us in God's Word, the Bible. Jesus says, Jesus tells us what the purpose of this supernatural biblical unity is. He says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The unity of God's love that is to be evident between us is to stand between, in stark contrast to anything that the world has to offer and then make it pale by comparison. Let's look at verse 22. He says, The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Now the glory, or the, the part of the glory, or the aspect of the glory talked about in this verse, is not the future glory of the heavenly state. Jesus is going to talk about that shortly. But rather, it's the present glory of the indwelling Holy Spirit that Jesus experienced when he dwelt with us here on earth. Remember when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted, the Gospel writer Luke tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit. Thus we see that Jesus has given to us the opportunity and the privilege to walk, that is, be guided and led by the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus modeled for us here on earth. When we are individually surrendered to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that's when we experience unity with each other. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, that is the church universal, and one Spirit, that is God the Holy Spirit who unites us. Think about that for a moment. One of the greatest mysteries of the universe is that the mighty triune God, the king and creator of the universe, would choose to dwell within such as us. Now, we who have received Jesus as our Savior can't comprehend that. And certainly the unsaved world can't but they're desperate to see the evidence of it, particularly in how we treat each other. What does the old song say? They'll know we are Christians by our what? Love. In verse 23, we're told that this unity Jesus prays for is a process 
which will culminate in our perfect unity with God and with each other in heaven. Jesus says, I in them and you in me that they may become, there it is, process, become perfectly one. The effects of this process of increasingly perfecting unity are to be plain and outwardly evident. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Now let's look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. In contrast to the present glory of the Holy Spirit's work in this age, spoken of in verse 22, Jesus here speaks of his eternal glory from before the foundation of the world that we will behold with him in heaven. The unity that we experience with each other here on earth is to be a foretaste of heaven. But again, the degree to which we experience it is directly dependent upon how much we are each individually surrendered to His will and to the working of the Holy Spirit within us. What does James 4.1 say? It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Folks, the direct cause of disunity within the body of Christ is individual unsurrendered lives. Individual unconfessed sin. Now let's look at verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Here, Jesus acknowledges and affirms his disciples' faith weak and imperfect though it may be. He contrasts their faith and ours with the unbelieving world. And then in verse 26, promises to develop and deepen their relationship with them. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Why? That the love with which you have loved me may be known in them, and I in them. Here, The infinite supernatural love within the Holy Trinity is given to us through Christ so that we may be empowered to love each other as we ought to. So, how are we to love each other and so promote unity? How are we to apply this teaching of Jesus on unity? Well, first of all, We must practice forgiveness and keep on practicing it until we finally get it right. In Matthew 18, 21 and 22, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. The point Jesus makes here is that we are to to forgive without keeping count. We're often told to keep short accounts with God in our prayer life, aren't we? 
particularly when we sin. Folks, we're also to keep short accounts with each other. Second point, frankly, folks, all of us need to grow thicker skins, myself included. Those things that cause us irritation with each other just seem small and petty when compared with eternity, don't they? Third, in situations of conflict, we need to choose what is best for the other person. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Love does not insist on its own way. You see, it's far better for us that we learn to get along with each other now here on earth. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we will be together for a very, very long time. Can I get an amen? In conclusion, I wonder if there are any here today holding a grudge against someone. Remember Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, are there hurtful things buried in your heart that you need to give forgiveness for? Or perhaps, are there things in your life for which you need to go to someone and ask for their forgiveness? Is there perhaps unfinished business between you and someone who's no longer attending here? You know, in the past couple of years, we as a church have gone through some very significant changes. And when any church experiences such change, particularly change in leadership, sometimes people choose to go elsewhere. When that happens, sometimes there's hurt on both sides. The fact is that each and every one of our Lord's local churches here on earth are composed of imperfect, fallen, but redeemed people that God isn't finished with yet. Or I wonder, maybe while you've been listening, you've realized that you have yet to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord and become part of God's forever adopted family. And you'd like to know how to take that step. Well, if any of these things are true of you, Today is the day to get that unfinished business between you and God or between you and someone else taken care of. As has been pointed out earlier today, just in just a couple of weeks we'll be welcoming our new pastor. So let's prepare for his arrival by putting any old business to rest. Let's start this new chapter of our church with a clean slate. So please, if you're sitting here today, knowing that God is gently touching something in your heart, now's the time. If you'd like to talk with someone about it, myself or any of our elders would love to listen to you and pray with you, talk with you about it. 
please seek one of us out after the service. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for this magnificent prayer of our Lord Jesus in which he prayed for that which is impossible for us to produce on our own, our unity with each other in love. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take the scripture that has been proclaimed today and apply it in each of our lives. And so make us each one to be more and more like our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray and all God's children said, Amen. Brother Mark. Now for sermon number two. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we do want to have a nice transition here to communion and just want to share a few thoughts the Lord's put on my heart as we now prepare to take the bread and the cup to remember our Lord Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And, and thank you, Mark. That's Mark's first time uh, sharing from the pulpit here at Creekside. And thank you for your word, brother. You know, he shared from John chapter 17, which he said is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And we see Jesus interceding for the believers, praying and pouring his heart out to God that they may know the truth, that they may be one, and so that the world may know the love of God through that unity. So we're, we want to be in oneness and unity together, but we also want it so that the world can see the light and love of Christ. And so as I was thinking about the priestly role of Jesus, uh, the Lord has drawn my mind and heart to the book of Revelation in the last few weeks. And if you look at chapter 1 with me, uh, the Lord is still our great high priest today. He's still interceding for us. And what we see in Revelation chapter 1 is a vision in heaven. We have kind of a gateway, a window, looking into the very throne of heaven. The Apostle John, uh, as an old man at this point, maybe, maybe 90 years old, and he gets this revelation of Jesus Christ uh, of, in heaven. And he hears a voice behind him in verse 10 of chapter 1. Here's a loud voice behind him. And in verse 12, he says he, he turns and he looks to see the voice that spoke with him. And after having turned, this is what John saw. He said, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as, it, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his hand, his right hand, seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And you know, one of the things that is remarkable to me as I, as I was picturing this scene of heaven, kind of an otherworldly scene, this description of Jesus, which John, I'm sure, couldn't perfectly describe in all its glory, but he made his best attempt. And he sees Jesus with a robe on. You see that there? Uh, verse 13. And, and I was thinking about that robe, that garment that goes down to his feet. You know, in the Old Testament, there were kings and prophets that wore robes like that. 
But the person you saw most often wearing a robe like that with a golden sash across his chest was the high priest. You know, the high priest is significant. The priest is the one who had access to God. Not just anyone could approach God because they were sinners. Only the priest, the one chosen by God, could go into the holy place and make the offering. The priest had to be holy. He had to make the offering for the people. He had access to God and, and in a way, help the people interface with God. So here's Jesus in heaven. He's the greatest high priest. We don't have earthly priests today offering up animal sacrifices. That all came to an end when there was a perfect high priest, the Lord Jesus, who offered himself as a sacrifice. We see here in verse 18, he says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. You know, uh, even back up to the beginning of the chapter here, John uh, writing for Jesus here in verse 5, he says, he's writing from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, Jesus Christ is the greatest being that we have ever, this world has ever seen. He calls him here, he's the faithful witness. Everything he has ever said is completely true and reliable. He's called the firstborn from the dead. Uh, there have been people who were raised from the dead before Jesus was raised from the dead. You remember people in the Old Testament, Jesus raised people from the dead. But of all the people that were ever raised from the dead, he was the firstborn. He was the premier, the, the prominent one. And uh, if you think about resurrection versus raising, I don't know if you've ever thought about that difference, but some people are raised from the dead in the Bible only to die again, right? But Jesus was the first one who was resurrected with a glorified body, never to die again. He's the eternal one. He's the great high priest. And so when he made that offering for our sins, it was a perfect offering that covered our sins completely. Uh, that never again to be an animal sacrifice. Never again uh, for Jesus to die. He, his sacrifice was a perfect one. Uh, he's our great high priest. And so I just want to close with reading a couple verses in Hebrews 10. Because Hebrews is a book that just over and over again talks about Jesus as our high priest. And just listen to these words before we take the bread and the cup. In verse 11 of chapter 10 in Hebrews it says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. There it is. That's the old priesthood system and the Old Testament Jewish system where they had to keep making animal sacrifices and it could never really take away sins. It kind of covered their guilt temporarily. And it pointed to the sacrifice of Christ. But listen to this, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. You know, the priest's role, they were never done offering sacrifices. They were continually standing, offering sacrifices again and again that could never really take away the sins. But it says here of Jesus that he offered one sacrifice and then sat down because his work was done. There was no more work to be done. It was a perfect sacrifice. It says, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's a wonderful verse because the standard is perfection. God says, be holy for I am holy. That's an impossible standard for us as sinners. 
And in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, he calls us to be perfect. How can we be perfect? How can we be holy? And that drives us to the realization that we can't. And of ourselves, we can't be holy. We can't be perfect of ourselves. But it says here, by one offering, the offering of Jesus, our great high priest, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We're still in a process of being sanctified, as our brother Mark talked about. There's God still working in our hearts. But before God, when he looks at us, he doesn't see us now just in our sinfulness, in our depravity, in our lostness. For those of us who have trusted in the blood of Christ, we are now perfected in his sight forever. Perfected forever. That's a wonderful thing. And that could only be done by the offering of our Lord Jesus, our great high priest. I'm going to pray and then... Uh, and then as the music's playing, come forward to take the bread and the cup to remember these, these symbols that remind us of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus, who gave himself as that perfect once-for-all sacrifice uh, for our sins. Lord, we just thank you uh, for your son, the Lord Jesus, who is our great high priest. Lord, we now have access uh, to your very presence through prayer. We can come directly and boldly to the throne of grace because our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made it possible for us to have a relationship with you by his own blood. We have been washed in the blood of Christ. We thank you for that. We thank you for the word this morning. May our hearts be drawn closer to you as we meditate and think upon our Savior, uh, the one who is dead and has been raised from the dead and is alive forevermore. Because he lives, we live also. And we thank you for that. In his name, amen.